folks, <laughs> folks, Merrick Garland does not party, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Find Laws, Don't Judge Me, the show about the law in real life. I'm Laura Temme, and we've got a skeleton crew today. I'm joined by Andy Leonetti. How? <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> That's it. That's all we need from you. I'm moving on. <laughs> and we... <laughs> and Joe Fawbush. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Yeah. You, you had one chance. I'm not going to let you do it God. again. See, yeah. this is what happens when Allie takes an episode off. We just, we can't even get our intros right, but we're going to do it. I can best. only speak in syllables, not complete words, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> you know, those out there in listener land don't understand literally how hard it is just to say a freaking word <laughs> when the microphone <laughs> is, is in front of your face. It, <laughs> it does, uh, yeah, it does change things. That's for sure. I'm like, am I going to say hi, howdy, howdy doody? What was I even going for there? It just, just, a, <laughs> just a noise. Yeah. Anything yep. but howdy doody okay. is acceptable. I was going to say you should do howdy doody every time. <laughs> no. You know, it helps to, to pick one and stick with it because then, you know. Anyway, uh, <laughs> what are we talking about today? We're going to talk about drugs. Yes. <laughs> this so podcast excited. is brought to you by Thomson Reuters. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I do really like that. We're going to do, you know, 40 minutes to an hour of three nerds talking about drugs. Like I, just I will say actually this, this podcast, just to be safe, this podcast is brought to you by Thompson Reuters. <laughs> 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 yes. Fine law and the host do not condone any illegal behavior at all. Yeah, I figured I'd start with a show of hands asking who here is down with <laughs> drugs and really likes them. <laughs> down with drugs. <laughs> <laughs> so we do want to talk. Yeah, I don't know either. Um, so none of us are currently under the influence of illegal drugs at the moment. <laughs> Um, but <laughs> with a new president in office, I thought this would be a really exciting, uh, time to talk about one of the more uh, popular consumer legal topics that we, uh, encounter in the, uh, across the find law family of legal information websites. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was a lot of interesting stuff that came out of the election as far as yeah. states um, yep. changing their regulations. So yep. yeah, I'm we had a lot, to talk of, about it. a lot of developments there as well. Um, but I think I, I want to start uh, firmly with the seemingly growing by the day expectation that the country's oldest and squarest president in its history <laughs> is gonna is gonna be the guy to usher in a new wave of uh, of drug of of the uh, liberalization of of federal drug laws. 
I hadn't thought about it that way, but I do really enjoy that. It's almost as funny as, you know, a former D.A.R.E. role model talking about drugs. Yeah. Oh. Anybody else remember D.A.R.E.? Were you, were you a D.A.R.E. role model? <laughs> I was. Although, I, from what I remember, it pretty much consisted of one day when I was a senior in high school hanging out with fifth graders. And I'm not sure if we even talked to them about drugs, to be honest. Like, <laughs> I remember I remember playing basketball with them. <laughs> like, I, and that was it. I, <laughs> you know? I, can't, I can't pinpoint the time for me, but I just remember at some point D.A.R.E. Just like kind of morphing into just say no. And then we never mm-hmm. said the word dare again. And we were always just like, just say no related stuff. Yeah. Well, I think Andy and I can talk about the war on drugs. You know, that was kind of the, the we were we were right there for the beginning of it. Mm-hmm. And, it was frightening. Uh, we, we, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, for I, you I think personally we had... or just in general? <laughs> <laughs> no, not for me personally, not at all. But the, the, the police who came to school all mm-hmm. the time made it sound extremely frightening. A lot of Saved by the Bell episodes and uh <laughs> blossom and after school specials yeah and you know? full house and yeah like all those shows had a had a drug episode yeah it was kind of a thing if you were a show in the <laughs> late 80s you had to have a very special episode about drugs sure <laughs> so i guess this is is this our after school after school special is, is that what's happening this is a very <laughs> special episode <laughs> Of don't judge me. <laughs> um, Talking about legal shrooms, but it's 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 hard not to talk about uh, liberalizing drug laws without thinking of this stuff too. Mm-hmm. Without thinking of like stuff from the eighties and nineties, for because Joe Biden is seventy eight years old, and in the eighties and nineties, it was kind of hard. To find someone in Congress who wanted to crack down on drug users and drug pushers harder than Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that's only because he was in the majority throughout all of the 80s and or throughout most of the 80s and early 90s, at least. And so as chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee, he was. Uh, front and center on a lot of war on drugs. And then really in the 90s, it became just like war on anything even tangentially related to crime mm-hmm. <laughs> in, in with the Clinton crime bill. Man, Joe, Bi- Joe Biden did not like drugs. Um, <laughs> he did not at all. like them. <laughs> but conveniently, his views have evolved since then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sometimes you got to see the writing on the wall and just go with it, you know? <laughs> yeah. And during during this campaign, he did finally say something along the lines of, I don't think anyone should go to jail for smoking marijuana. Which, thanks, Joe. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> yeah. Also, he didn't say anything about like whether you should go to jail for preparing or eating really dank brownies. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard you use the word dank. <laughs> but, but, 
Yeah, I'm showing my age. I don't know if the kids. I don't know if kids these days use dank anymore as like. A, I have no idea as a weed term. We don't need to pretend to be cool <laughs> with it. It's yeah, right. it's you know when people start talking about shrooms, my response is usually portobellos are nice. Like <laughs> I don't you know I don't have any experience with that. But what I found is that the latest Gallup survey shows now across the U.S., across all political parties, everything, 68% support for marijuana legalization. And that's wow. talking full that's talking full legalization. So yeah. especially this century, the, the mood of the country has shifted a ton. So I think the president still has a little catching up to do. So maybe I'm jumping ahead here, but I'm just curious that, you know, I, I kind of figured that that was the mood of the country. But how many states have actually legalized recreational marijuana? I mean, it's still only a handful, right? Yeah, we are at. At recreational 15 states now that are fully legalized. Oh, that's more than I realized. Well, and I think there's only, what, three left where where it's not legal in any form? Yeah, we should rephrase the answer a little differently. Now, in the country, we only have Idaho, Wyoming, Kansas, Tennessee, Alabama, and South Carolina where marijuana is fully illegal. Um, we have... I mean, a, a fairly large amount of states that have only decriminalized it. And then we have more states that have legalized medical marijuana. And then we are now up to 15 states, though, that have legalized recreational marijuana. It went went undefeated this last election day on the ballot with 68% approval in Mississippi for medical marijuana. South Dakota voters, 69% approval for medical marijuana. And then they also voted 50, with 53% approval for recreational marijuana. Uh, Arizona, 60%. New Jersey, 67%. And Montana, 57% all on election day. So recreational programs are obviously not up and running in those states yet, but they will be at some point in the next year or two. The even bigger... Uh, the even bigger votes we saw occur on election day were in Oregon, voters approved 59 to 41%, the first ever ballot initiative to decriminalize the non-commercial possession of controlled substances. That, so that includes uh, pretty much any Schedule 1, Schedule 2 drugs, which I have the list here handy. Schedule 1 includes heroin, LSD, Pot, ecstasy, methaqualone, and peyote. And Schedule 2, which is most of uh, prescription painkillers, cocaine, methamphetamine, Adderall, Ritalin. So those are going to be, uh, it essentially reduces the maximum penalty for possessing small amounts of any of these drugs to a $100 fine. Um, and you can even avoid the fine by participating in a health assessment. Uh, I think that still needs to Do be. Do we have any idea what no, that, that entails? No, I, th I think Is the health like... assessment still needs to be fleshed out. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Are you okay? Yeah, you're like, yeah, I guess so. I was just well, buying a little cocaine, you know? Walking yeah. around with a pocket full of meth. What do you think? Yeah. They're like, oh, okay. We'll waive that fine then. <laughs> <laughs> the state, the state, though, is also diverting a lot of its uh, sales tax funds from 
recreational marijuana sales to fund rehab and treatment. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, this this is huge. Yeah, and voters in Oregon did not stop there, though, either. Mm. 56% approval. <laughs> they became the first state in the nation to legalize psilocybin, which is also better known as magic mushrooms. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, this is... <laughs> what what they voted to set up is you can't just walk around taking shrooms and tripping wherever you okay. want. This is this is legalizing tripping in a supervised therapeutic setting. So okay. this was the the effort was led by a husband and wife pair of uh, psychotherapists. Mm-hmm. They led the effort to get this on the ballot. Um Saying that this that uh, using shrooms in a controlled setting holds promise for addiction, depression, mm-hmm. anxiety, some other mental health conditions. Yeah, yeah, I've heard of I've heard of like I think it's um microdosing with mushrooms on on to help with several different mental health issues, especially like bipolar and that kind of thing. So it's yeah, it's kind of fascinating. Ooh, micro. Yeah, I keep hearing about this microdosing thing, and I never. Know, I mean, I, I, I never don't know, know what exactly. To, yeah, what it I entails. never know what to make of it because I only ever hear about it from not doctors. People are right, like, hey, yeah. have you ever looked <laughs> into? Sure. Have you ever looked into microdosing? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's very true. I, I mean, obviously, I am not a mental health professional, and half the people talking about microdosing aren't mental health professionals. But I have heard of people doing it. You know. At, on well, the advice of, you know, someone who has that knowledge. Yeah, it, it became kind of a trend, especially in tech companies where people felt like they would be able to be more creative in taking small doses mm. throughout the day. I have <laughs> significant doubts. That, yeah. You know, like, <laughs> that and seems I, a little dubious. <laughs> um, but yeah, that is the, th- but I mean, they have been using psilocybin in psychological experiments since the sixties and, mm-hmm. you know, even as a treatment since the sixties. So that's not necessarily a new idea, but yeah, that, I, that was actually really surprising to me. I, you know, I, I know that the mood is shifting on marijuana, but legalizing and decriminalizing the harder drugs, I would have to guess that most of America is still hesitant to do that. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I will be interested to see, but you know, of course, Oregon is kind of proud of itself for paving the way on these sorts of issues. On the shrooms issue too, Washington DC voters also voted to decriminalize possession of shrooms. Interesting. So you leave it to the cities, I guess, or Washington DC, the, uh, the laboratory of democracy. So Andy, Andy, I think you've been following it more closely than I have. I don't necessarily know the new administration's position on decriminalization. Have they talked about changes in policy at the DOJ? Are they actually going to try to get something through Congress? Do you know, do they have any plans or? Well, so here's all anyone can kind of go off of is what Joe Biden said during the campaign, which was basically like, I guess if you want to toke a little doobie, it's, you know, <laughs> but. Um, Thanks, Grandpa. Did he say that in his aviator <laughs> yeah. that Folks, if you <laughs> if you want, listen, if you want to smoke a doobie, I'm fine with it. <laughs> but 
anything beyond that is still um, kind of up in the air. He did, with his appointments, though, of Merrick Garland as AG and Javier Becerra to be HHS secretary, uh, they both have been on the record as at least being unopposed to liberalizing marijuana laws. Um, I, th- I will start straight out. Um, I, I have looked a lot into this. I will start straight out. Anybody who's hoping for like cocaine or heroin or anything like that to be decriminalized, do not count on it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in the next, in the, yeah. in the definitely within the next four years. Um, mm-hmm. I just, I would put chances of that happening at less than zero. Um, yeah. But when it, but it would still be huge to, to see people stop being incarcerated for marijuana. Yeah. So when it comes to marijuana, the big thing that happened at the end of last year was the House passed uh, what's being known as the Moore Act. That was essentially, that essentially um, descheduled marijuana completely and set up um, and also funded some uh, medical marijuana research. It would make it easier for legal marijuana businesses to access uh, commercial banking, like lines of lines of credit and mm-hmm. uh, even like checking accounts, which in some states, uh, pop business owners have, have trouble getting access to. Um, but when that, so, and, and Chuck Schumer, said during the campaign season that if Democrats were able to regain the Senate majority, uh, they would also, the Moore Act would come up for a vote in the U.S. Senate in this new Congress. Um, And the House would, of course, have to pass it again. So only five Republicans crossed the aisle on that House vote. Um, And so five GOP votes in the House does not even come close to indicating that you will be able to get 10 Republican Senate votes uh, to get past to get past the 60 vote threshold on a on a on a legislative filibuster. Um, I guess that's up in the air. That's a whole different can of worms. Um, <laughs> that's <laughs> own, yeah, that's that's its own show. If if the filibuster if the filibuster for legislation goes bye bye, then you might have a better chance at the Moore Act actually getting an actual up or down vote in the Senate. You would you would definitely have some Democrats uncomfortable with it in the Senate, but there would be a couple Republicans who I could see maybe voting for it, like Rand Paul, uh, maybe like Lisa Murkowski in Alaska, um, mm-hmm. but not not many, I don't think. Um, no, that seems right to me. I think, uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I wouldn't, I, I'm not going to be holding my breath Yeah. for any kind of significant drug legislation to pass. I think it's still just navigating the existing structure between the states and, yeah. and the federal. Yeah. What is likely to happen is the house will vote to pass it again. And then the Senate will vote to break a filibuster. It'll fail. And that'll be that. And then you turn mm-hmm. you turn to some piecemeal legislation, um, and from what I from what I was gathering, reading, 
doing my reading last week. Um, pretty much the only thing that enjoys like overwhelming bipartisan support right now is funding medical marijuana research (laughs) 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 to to actually prove its effectiveness is actually a huge step forward (laughs) in and of itself. Actually, (laughs) they might be able to make some changes to federal banking laws that allows like multi-state operating legal weed companies to, to more easily access bank services. But that, that doesn't really affect users of drugs at all. That's more the, right. that's, that's, that's the, that affects the uh, wealthy hipsters who overwhelmingly <laughs> dominate the, the, sorry, the wealthy white hipsters who overly, who domi- overly dominate the legal weed industry. <laughs> mm-hmm. That, that is a significant problem for them though, because it, it does create all sorts of issues, including with the IRS mm-hmm. um, and so, yeah, I, I mean, it's hard to feel too sympathetic, but, uh, you know, it, it does have a uh, um, shuddering effect, maybe is what I'm, no, I, I can't remember what word I was going to use, but it, it does have the tendency of making it harder for dispensaries to do business. Um, yeah, especially when some of these states that have created legal weed programs. I know when Illinois created theirs a couple of years ago, they were very big on touting how they were going to be uh, equitable in uh, business licensing and things like that, really focusing on communities like the South and West sides of Chicago that have just been, that just got hollowed out under the drug war. Um, they were going to really focus on people from those community entrepreneurs in those communities getting you know first dibs at opening uh pot shops so far that has not happened surprise surprise and i know in michigan that's been a problem too but um detroit doesn't even allow legal pot businesses so they have uh recused themselves from the state's legal weed program you know now that i think about it we haven't provided yet an overview um about the various approaches that the states are taking, right? Because it's kind of, states are are taking a piecemeal approach to how to deal with marijuana. There's just full criminalization. There's decriminalization where it's not legal to sell or to run a dispensary, but you won't be charged if you've got a small amount in your possession. And then there's full recreational legalization where you can run a dispensary. It's like, going to a liquor store. Um, and then there's also the medical marijuana where you can get it and there can be dispensaries, but you need a prescription in order to get it like you would with any other uh, controlled two substance, like a, a prescription painkiller. Yeah. Um, and some state, well, some states too, in there, you know, you have the citizens overwhelmingly vote to create a program and then you leave it to the, to the state to set up a regulatory framework over the next year or two. And it just becomes a a, a, a joke. Uh, like it, mm-hmm. it, it, it took Massachusetts years to to get one store open in the state. Um, but in the meantime, people were then allowed to grow a couple plants in their home. You know, mm-hmm. everybody with those arrow garden lights that you can see in apartment <laughs> windows everywhere now. I'm <laughs> are those the purple ones? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> those aren't the per- those are the uh, those are the red, white, and blue ones that you see all the time oh, now. Oh, okay. 
those are those are arrow garden lights, which I assume some people are just growing pot in them. Um, oh, probably. <laughs> yeah, and you have some states like Colorado, who if anyone here has ever been to Denver, like you just see the absolute ubiquitousness of of pot shops on like every every block, and then other states try to like really, really control it where they say, you know, there will only be one marijuana shop per zip code or um, things like that. And it's a mess of different regulations and and programs. Yeah. And we should, uh, to follow up on the discussion between, I mean, I know this is kind of pretty common knowledge, but just so that we're all on the same page, um, states even that have legalized marijuana, it is still against federal law. And as we discussed, federal law is not likely to change. And so at any point, uh, you know, federal law uh, trumps state law. So at any point, the Department of Justice could start going after any, you know, dispensary. Um, Yeah, the DEA could decide to raid a mm -hmm. dispensary anytime they wanted. Yeah. So there is still definite risk, even in states that are fully legalized, and there is still risk. I mean, you know, in the the next four years, there's no risk, but absent an actual act of Congress, this could change again in four years, depending on what happens politically. Right. When when Attorney General Jeff Sessions, also not a big (laughs) fan of drugs, uh, pretty much laid off the legal weed industry, that's a pretty good sign of... I guess what people can expect to happen from the federal government, but it, yeah, but yeah, you're mm-hmm. right. It doesn't mean that nothing could happen. Yeah, yeah. Which, which, yeah. And then again, with with some of the tax issues and with uh, you know uh, some of the banking issues that dispensaries face, it is actually a very tricky legal area for a lot of dispensaries, which is why uh, a lot of attorneys are getting into practicing law just specifically over marijuana, just to navigate some of these banking and some of these federal rules, um, you know. And and so there's still, you know, even in a state that has legalized marijuana, it's still a complex question when you say, is this legal? You know, it just because it's legal doesn't necessarily mean you can smoke it everywhere, for example. Um, you know, some, some states prohibit smoking outside. Some people prohibit smoking it inside. Um, <laughs> yeah, near so schools. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's not really a free-for-all. So even, you know, if, if you're listening and you're excited because you like marijuana, <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, I feel morally obligated to say, you know, still, still be careful. I will say that absent legislation passing to reschedule or deschedule marijuana um, from the category of to reschedule it to schedule two, which would classify marijuana as a drug with an accepted medical use, but a high propensity for abuse and the need for oversight. Um, which, like I said earlier, would put it on a par with like oxycodone, fentanyl, Vicodin, drugs that actually do require a great deal of oversight. Just to do that would require absent legislation, which we've already discussed is not going to happen. There is a very uh, convoluted administrative path to rescheduling. The Federal Controlled Substances Act does allow a very, like, 
a regulatory approach to rescheduling marijuana. Um, put it out there, Joe Biden cannot issue an executive order to reschedule marijuana. That is that is not something that can happen. But what can happen administratively is a I have this giant flowchart open in front of me, courtesy of the Brookings <laughs> Institution. Brookings Institute, I'm sorry. Um, where either the attorney general can uh, review a petition or an interested outside party or the Secretary of Health and Human Services files a petition with the attorney general. And then the attorney general review this petition and then they forward it to the Secretary of Health and Human Services with a request for scientific and medical evaluation. Um, at which point HHS, the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, will then start a basically a scientific process of looking at evidence of the pharmacological effects of the drugs of marijuana. They will look at current knowledge that exists on it. They will assess public health risks, um, uh, chances for dependence and addiction. They will look at any potential benefits, blah, blah, blah. And then the secretary will issue recommendation to the attorney general. And so at, wh at which point they could recommend that it is not a controlled substance, essentially descheduling it, or if they should rescheduling it. And then the attorney general will initiate more rulemaking proceedings for control, transfer, all the, crim all the criminal aspects of of possession of marijuana, selling, interstate transport, any of that stuff. So people who want to go that route, you should also be aware then that once like HHS, FDA, and the Department of Justice get involved, the likelihood of a lot of onerous regulations being put in place along with the legalization of weed may make it, um, you know, careful what, careful what you wish for there mm -hmm. as well. Well, and not to mention court changes and uh, court challenges, excuse me, um, and all of the stuff that goes along with administrative law. So, yeah, yeah I mean, um, the process that you just described could be similar for a lot of different hot button issues. And it's always a long process and it's always difficult and there are legal challenges all the time. So, um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Again, don't hold your breath. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Merrick Garland has kind of signaled that he would be like, maybe okay with it. But like, folks, <laughs> folks, folks, <laughs> Merrick Garland does not party. Okay. <laughs> so I, I wouldn't get your hopes up too much. <laughs> also, you have thousands, tens of thousands of career staff at DOJ uh, the DEA, who may very much not be in favor of decriminalizing or legal, any sort of legalization efforts, and who can also do a lot of things to slow roll any regulatory efforts, mm -hmm. anything like that as well. Yeah, so it sounds like we can pretty much expect more of the same at the federal level. And meanwhile, uh, the American population has made up its mind for the most part and uh states are coming along kind of slowly but surely yeah with that mm -hmm. with that vote in oregon too um at some point with with the way the opioid epidemic has just thrashed states like ohio and pennsylvania and west virginia 
I wonder if you may see a ballot effort there to decriminalize the possession of certain con- certain controlled substances like heroin or fentanyl or mm-hmm. uh, oxy. It could it could happen. Maybe now is a good time then to talk about one of those efforts to deal with the opioid problem that happened in Philadelphia where they tried to open a drug safe house. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so this was a a nonprofit that's, you know, concerned about the amount of damage that opioids are doing to communities and individuals. You know, I mean, we've been joking around about uh drugs, but you know, obviously they do cause serious problems and and we're not trying to make light of the actual damage that that drugs do. And Opioids is a huge problem, particularly in those states that you mentioned, Andy. And one creative theory is to let people who are already using drugs and regularly go to a safe place where they can be monitored after their use. And this would reduce opioid deaths because, of course, this is uh, a horrible problem in our country. You know, 100 people die of an overdose every day. And so this is a nonprofit. They'd open up a drug safe house. People could come, use their drug of choice, and then they would have moni- be monitored and they could be uh, given medication if they started to overdose. And while they were there, they would be have access to, you know, social workers, um, maybe talk about whether they could get housing, they could talk about treatment and recovery options. And so there was kind of trying to take a more holistic approach to dealing with, you know, not not the selling of drugs, but the using of drugs, kind of trying to lower the demand where it's like, you know, you've got a, a mental health issue going on with your addiction. Let's t- take care of that. And we're not going to criminalize it. Um, but we're just going to have a safe place for it. So a methadone, a methadone clinic on steroids. Basically. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah. But I mean, the, the thing is then you could actually go use your drug there, you know, as it is, you, mm-hmm. you can't do that. So the problem with this is approach of having a drug safe house is that obviously it violates federal law and under federal law, you cannot operate a premises where people come to use drugs. You can't sell drugs. You can't use drugs. You can't advertise that you can come there and use drugs. <laughs> uh, what if you could advertise, but you just couldn't That'd be sell? wild. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, yeah, it's, it's not surprising that there's a lot like this on the books. Yeah. Um, and so the Third Circuit said, you know, nice try. And there was actually a dissent in this case it's a very recent case out of the third circuit uh just came out i think a couple weeks ago and um there was a dissent saying that no we don't need to read into the law what you're reading into it and it would be perfectly legal but as it stands uh philadelphia cannot operate this drug safe house or the nonprofit in philadelphia cannot operate it um but there's some interesting workarounds that you could do Like, for example, since you can't operate a premises where people come to use drugs, you could theoretically have a mobile van where you just kind of drive around. (laughs) Oh, sure. If you you give the van a call, you know. um, It's like calling an Uber. Like the the Breaking Bad RV. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, there, there, I mean, obviously you can't sell drugs. So, so nobody get any ideas listening, but, um, but if you're operating a methadone clinic, it, it's 
conceivable that there are some workarounds that you could do to help yeah. it this way. But as it stands, we're not going to have this decriminalization where you can just go to a safe place. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think the Third Circuit was probably right in its reading of the law, although there was some some legitimate questions about it. Um, but yeah, absent federal legislation, which, as we've already indicated, is is not very likely. Um, yeah, the U.S. Senate can, doesn't party either. No. no. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, they don't like it when other people party. They yeah, that. that's very true. Yeah, so I, yeah, I, I, I was excited about this because I do think it's a different approach, and I think it's a more common sense approach than you know. Obviously, the war on drugs has not worked. Um, you know, not to give too much of my political opinion, but you know, it would be nice to be able to, to address the opioid crisis in a way that is a little different and just see if it gets better results. But uh, absent changes at the federal level, that doesn't seem likely, unfortunately. And that's all we have for today. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Find Laws, Don't Judge Me. Please subscribe to, rate, and review our show wherever you listen to podcasts. Check the show notes for related content. And if you'd like to contact us, send us an email at findlawpodcasts at thompsonreuters.com. What meeting? The, the meeting we're having right now. <laughs> also, where am I? <laughs> I heard drugs, and so then I just kind of showed up. And uh, <laughs> no, I, I just, uh, yeah.